0: Hey everybody and welcome back to Brim, a global community at the intersection of climate innovation and social justice. Today is episode 10 of season 2 and we have the pleasure of hearing from two amazing women, Kathleen Dean, an award-winning filmmaker, documentarian, and storyteller, and Dr. Miriam Lynch, the Executive Director for Diversity in Aquatics. Together, we discuss the ins and outs of building a documentary. What does it take and why is it important? And specifically, following the UN Commission on Water conference in March, we talk about the intersection of storytelling and water. I hope everybody enjoys and I hope you all have a great rest of the week and weekend. Take care. Great, well, I'm so excited today. Uh, welcome back to Brim, and uh, today we have the the great honor of speaking with two amazing new friends of mine, um Dr. Miriam Lynch and Kathleen Dean. We met back a couple of weeks ago at the Buddhist Su Chi Center in New York, so shout out to Steve Chu and the whole team at um at the foundation. That was an awesome event and um, you know, one of the many amazing things is that it has led to this conversation. So Kathleen, Dr. Lynch, thank you guys so much for being here. And how are you guys doing today?
1: Um, well, thank you for having us. It was a real pleasure to meet you in New York at the Suchi Center. And uh, I'm doing great and thrilled to be here with you.
2: Awesome. Yeah, same to be in great company. Um, I think it. The discussions and all that was happening in New York really created a synergy, and it is great to continue it on and to to be in both of y'all's presence again.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Well, I guess just for a little bit of context around all of that, the the event that we met at was during the the water week that the UN was hosting, but there were also a lot of really awesome side events like the one at the Su Chi Foundation. Um, but everything was focused on water that week. Right. And um, I came away from that event really inspired by both of you um, for different, but interconnected reasons when it, when it comes to water. Right. So um, we have a lot to get into, but um, Dr. Lynch, I'm not sure if you'd be open to this, but one of my favorite parts of the event was when your team actually was able to lead us through a little bit of a, a breathing exercise. And, um, I know I need that today and I, I'm, maybe some other people out there might as well but if you'd be open to that I thought that might be a, a great way to start before we before we jump in
2: Well I am not the expert in it um, because we were joined by experts from the mind body um, center and uh, through them they've done and Awesome job towards teaching people like myself, other professionals in the field of aquatics, breathing and recentering ourselves um, as we get through discussions, so that we're all present um, during these moments. So, I stipulate what what I have, what I will share, is from is borrowed teachings um, from two amazing experts who have uh, really into myself, uh, Dr. Carol Penn, who was on the panel, um, who is also a mentor to Mr. Thaddeus Gammery, both who are part of the Institute and have taught our membership, diversity and aquatics, a mindfulness and made the connection to water. So as I always begin, um, let's close our eyes or get comfortable in where you are. Relax, wiggle your hands.
1: Wiggle your feet,
2: feeling present in the moment, and take a deep breath at this moment. Take a deep breath in, fill your lungs with all the air, feel it soothing you and going into each of your different muscle groups, and wiggle your shoulders as you go through, and then slowly breathe out. And what you're trying to do as you're breathing out is to empty out your lungs, releasing the stress of the day, releasing any prior thoughts before coming into this session. And we're going to go again, breathing in, deep, deep breath in, 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 fill them all the way Feel your chest rising, filling it with air, freshness, renewedness. And then hold,
1: hold, and slowly breathe out.
2: Oh, that one did it. That second one, I'm feeling. It. We're gonna go one. Yeah, more that. Th-
0: uh, yeah, that one. That one got it for me for sure. <laughs>
2: Um, that one was good. And, and me one too. One last one to flush us out. Okay. One last okay. one. Here we go. We're going to wiggle everything, get ourselves ready. Wiggle, wiggle. Do the dance. Feel joyous in this moment because we're about to talk all things water during the session. And breathe in and feel your arms rising with the breath. All the way up. And release. And slowly bring your hands down as releasing that breath.
1: Um, Wow,
2: give yourself a hug. (laughs) Yes. Wow, that was so nice.
1: You are the expert. (laughs) Yeah, thank you
0: so much, Dr. Lynch. That was much needed, I will say. And um, definitely sets a a great tone for for the conversation. And honestly, just pressing rewind back to the first time that we did that with dr penn i remember literally feeling different for the next week so um just a good reminder to be checking in on ourselves in that way and thank you for that um so there's so much that we could talk about and i know we want to be you know as efficient with our time as possible but i thought and this is a new way that um you know, conversations at Brim, you know, we're, we're thinking about starting them is thinking about where is your favorite place in the world? And it could be sort of a physical space, it could be sort of a mental space. It's sort of like a where or what is your favorite place in the world. And, um, you know, usually that helps us lead into a little bit about each of our stories. So, as much as you're willing to share and how does where you come from or your favorite place in the world sort of impact you and, um, Maybe does water have anything to do with that do with that, right? You know, why water and such a clear passion of both of yours. So um, maybe we can start with that prompt and 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 go from there if that makes sense to you too.
2: Absolutely, I'm gonna have Kathleen go first.
1: <laughs> okay, so thank you for being so gracious, Mary. Why water? Um, I think. Um, well, we are water. <laughs> We come from water, so um, I think it's natural that we seek it out in our lives, and uh, from a very early age, um, water was a big part of um, our my life, my family life, as far as, like, recreation and relaxation. Um, all summer long, every day, that's where you could find my family, at a, a beach, a pool, or a lake. Um so it was just natural for me to uh, have the connection. And uh, just kind of recently, I've been spending time with my mother, and I noticed the only painting she has hanging up in the living room is that of a beach. And I'm like, okay, so I, I, I know this is, you know, passed down in the genes, this love of water. Um, so my favorite place to be is basically near... Any beach. It could be in South Florida where I live. It could be in Hawaii where I like to vacation. Uh, uh, anywhere in the islands, um, just warm tropical water um, is my favorite place.
0: <laughs> awesome. Yeah, the the New York City boys is out on the West Coast right now, and uh, I, I gotta tell you, the beaches. I every city kid needs a little bit of beach. I think that's that's definitely for sure. Uh, but yeah what about you Dr. Lynch?
2: Well you said big thing west coast. (laughs) I I have enjoyed so much being near and around the water. I grew up near the water. It is where I learned my how to swim. I my family we come from non-swimmers but um, it was an opportunity when I moved military was what built my community and what builds my community and family now, my aquatics family. And like Kathleen said, is that um, the water is being in and near and at the beach and around it um, brings so much joy. Uh, It's just something about relaxation. I live in... um, Northern Virginia, and so we have the Potomac, and there's a lot of history surrounding the water Mm. and Potomac that is not always, that doesn't have a positive um, story, um, Mm. especially within the Black community and the Indigenous community, but it is something that to be empowered as we uncover the history and what has been done that is empowering to be near the water, to have that space, um, to be able to enjoy it as it is, um, to be able to float. Uh, My favorite thing is to be in an empty pool and just to float there and just to be in relaxation. So, um, you know, and that's, that's my happy place.
0: Very cool. Right, Adam. Yeah. And I, I think that's also part of what was really inspiring to me about both of you is that you're both passionate about water and um, you also storytell around it in very complimentary ways. Right. I mean, we can get more into this, but, you know, Kathleen, um, you know, there's this trailer for this new documentary film that you've made, the short film. And it's uh, we got to actually see a screening of it in person and it was so moving and um it's important to tell the history of water 100%. And then Dr. Lynch, you know, you and diversity and aquatics come in to water from this almost like healing perspective is very much what I felt too. So telling the history of water and telling, you know, speaking truth to that combined with finding ways to heal through water too. It's, it's very, you know, it's, it's an exciting compliment to each other, but um, you know, Kathleen, maybe if it makes sense to you at this point, do you want to give us a little bit of a sense of you know where weight in the water came from? Um, you know, Thaddeus, who Dr. Lynch mentioned, is heavily, you know, prominent in the short film as well. And so there's clearly interconnection, but um, you know, maybe you can give us a little bit of a, a brief intro to to what the film is, you know, why it was important to you. And um, you know, hopefully that leads us into diversity and in aquatics as well. And, um does that make sense?
1: Yeah, that um, totally makes sense. That's and cool. I, I'd love to uh, share with you how the uh, film came to be and the, the connection that, um, that I have, the strong and beautiful um, long lasting connection that I have with diversity in aquatics. products. Um, so I guess it was, a, it was a few years ago that um, I was interested in uh, participating in a triathlon. So I was looking for an organization to um, help to improve my swimming. Um, I had the, the, the running and the cycling down at that point, and I just needed to, like, improve my swimming before I uh, got involved in the race. So a friend had suggested diversity in aquatics, uh, and I met Thaddeus, who was running a, um, a master's swim class in Fort Lauderdale. And I I began swimming and training with Thaddeus and became acquainted with all the amazing work that Diversity in Aquatics does uh, in and around the water space for people of color here in South Florida and across the country. And um, it just, the organization resonated with me. Um, I felt like I had found my tribe. And... um, after several months of swimming, Thaddeus uh, asked me to accompany him to the International Swimming Hall of Fame where the organization was giving uh, a medal to a young boy who had saved a little girl from, from drowning. And at the uh, International Swimming Hall of Fame, I met Bruce Wigo and he had curated an exhibition that chronicled the history of Africans in swimming. Um, you know from early on through um, colonization and up to modern times. And I was blown away and you know, art resonated to, with me. I'm an artist and the paintings really spoke to me and the history of you know, people of color and swimming, um, specifically of Af- Africans and of African descent. And um, I was just amazed with all of this information that had been hidden from me, a history major, you know, from a prominent university in New York City. I never knew a lot of this history. So, um, you know, later on, I was researching another film project and I came across all of this beautiful archival footage of the wait-ins that took place in South Florida. And I knew then that I had to tell the story in a film of my own. So I, I put it together and weighed in the water, drowning in racism, it's a short documentary film that chronicles the, um, the history of swimming, the historical, spiritual, and the cultural connection people of color have always had with the water. And I created the film in a way that I, I hope that it would do what diversity in aquatics does to dispel the negative myths and stereotypes that black people, people don't swim because you know we were these swimmers, um, we taught the Europeans how to swim. Uh, we have gold medalists and wonderful aquatic professionals like Dr. Lynch and Thaddeus and uh, so many more. Um, and, but there was something that disrupted the connection. And I, that it's explained very beautifully and eloquently in the film by Thaddeus. And the other hope of the film was to encourage people to reconnect with the water those families who the the, um, relationship had been severed through, you know, colonization, segregation, and the, the, the culture and their families had become one that, you know, advised them to stay away from the water. Because in families that don't swim, you know, if you want to protect your children, that's what you're going to tell them, stay away from the water. So we want everyone to change that culture to reconnect with the water, to learn how to swim for, you know, safety drowning prevention, but also for joy and health and well-being. And um, so that's what I hope the film accomplishes, you know, as we share it with, with people all over the world and, you know, I continue to partner with diversity in aquatics and we can have a conversation in and around the themes that are covered in the film and bring that message, you know, to people and also get them involved in our associated organizations that teach swimming and water safety and drowning prevention.
0: Awesome, thank you so much for for sharing that, Kathleen. And I'm so excited for more people to see it too. Um, you know, this is, I know, in the very early stages of starting to spread the word and it's an important word to spread. So thank you for that. And I think it leads very well into the work that you're doing, Dr. Lynch. And I know you're short on time. So I want to give you a chance to to share about diversity in aquatics. And, um, you know, the, the combination, like I said, of the story being told by Kathleen leading into a lot of the work into action in communities um like you are doing is you know exactly like kathleen said the hope of creating a documentary like that right is that it it starts the conversation and then you know action happens so um i'll hand the the mic over to you i'd love to hear more
2: well i'll say that kathleen's work is the tangible visualization of Everything that strings it so beautifully together—the story—and for through her lens and what she was able to capture is the empowerment of what his, the impact of history has made on Black and Brown communities. And so, a lot of times in the aquatics world, we always look at communities that have um, have a, been historically marginalized with a deficit mindset. Um, we say, oh, there's a lack of resources. It's because the community, right? We say that there's less access. It's because of the community. But what Kathleen's film does and what we try to do, both of them in parallel and working in, in tandem with each other, is that to tell the story of community through the flight of, of equality through aquatics, and it, it does it so beautifully and strings it as a braid into the fabric that makes communities. And so what we try to do is we try to empower our communities with information that it is not because you have a lack of resources. There are historical policies and procedures and practices that were done to create traumatic and anxiety um, within relations to the water because what the poem that is so beautiful that that strings through the film is that there's a deep relationship in culture to the water and a deep relationship to um community and what water means um that uh, i remember you know i don't know if i shared this with kathleen but my uncle came to my family had an opportunity for the first time to see what i do um and florida And he was like, wow, that's right. That is what happened. And to have the story told the way it was, he was further into the work and he's further into the work now because of what Kathleen's film was able to show. And to say, yeah, you're right. I do have a different feeling and I didn't realize those historical markers made that type of effect on me. And so... For him, it empowered him to understand his relationship to the water. And I think that's what the film does for all that get a chance to see it, is to have a different relationship and understanding of where we sit with our relationship and even empower us to to go forward and renew that relationship back to the water. Uh, And so for us at Diversity in Aquatics, um, we, that is what we do. We come from an empowerment um, mindset for communities to understand the historical factors that have influenced the disparities we see today. We understand the disparities and why we have um, a, a, a big gap between swimming ability, but not only in swimming ability, we're talking about leadership in aquatics, research, and even um, the opportunities of ownership right beachfront properties and ownership ownership of swim schools ownership of clubs ownership of boating and so what we do as part of diversity in aquatics is all the many facets of water we're not just talking about the recreational side so when we say diversity in aquatics we're not only just talking about diversity within communities within individuals. We're also talking about diversity in aquatic um, access. So beach, recreational, environmental. And then we're also talking about diversity in all the things that you can do once you learn how to swim. You can become a, a, a swim instructor, but you can become a scuba diver, a marine biologist. You can become um, a underwater welder, a sea captain. And so for us, we wanna talk and it's, it's about the ability to open up this economy to different communities who have been um, historically marginalized from having the same access as others in this space. And so um, we we have an opportunity to work with so many people. And I'm just so thrilled to work with Kathleen in this space and how she has brought diversity at aquatics along with her with the film, because all together, we are all working towards the same goal. We want to save lives and we wanna create opportunities in this space. And so uh, when we're all working in that tandem, we can all help communities in so many different ways. It's not one way or the other. There are so many different ways in how communities are meeting the water. And so um, we are actively trying to fundraise so we can continue this message. Um, A Matter of fact, uh, Thomas, since you're on the West Coast, we're going to be in L.A. on May 6th um, for a big fundraiser because we are trying to craft how do we further this message? Because we're working with amazing organizations such as the American Red Cross, USA Swimming, U.S. Masters, um, AHIM Education, who who we were with in the U.N., to expanding what water safety means. Not only water safety when we're talking about uh, learning to swim, but water safety. What do we have to do before you learn how to swim? Let's make our environmental environment safer. So once you go to the beach, you're you're enjoying the beach and you're more engaged into its actions. So um, I know I said a lot there, but uh, we hope that people can come out because we want to support and continue supporting films, and other organizations that we're involved in, in our communities, especially. We can't do it um, alone. We need funds to make it happen.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Dr. Lynch. Um, you know, I, I love the way that you've sort of framed as you know, redefining our relationship with water, right? That's such an important concept and um, you know, saving lives, but in creating opportunities, I love that that package as well, because you can start with water safety, but then, Once you unlock that, like you said, people can go off and do so many different things with that and be engaged with water in different ways. And um, I also love your point around ownership of water and thinking about who owns water. It's a very interesting, you know, anyway, lots of, there's so many things we could go into there, but when communities own their own resources, you know, that leads to, you know, um, great benefits for communities because they get to decide what to do with it right? Um, But anyway, I also just want to be conscious of your time. It is 11. So do you need to jump? Is that, uh, I want to make sure you get to say congrats. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Thank
2: you. And um, thank you, Kathleen, um, for creating space and channels, because that's what it's about. Um, When each of us, but I've been so proud to work with the many people we've who surround us and also amplify us is that it's providing seats at the table. So when you talked about communities having ownership, it's also communities having voice. And it's people like Kathleen, Ahem Neely at Ahem Education, who are creating seats at tables so that voices can be heard. And then it's up to us is to create more seats for others. And so that is what being a part of this collaborative and what you're doing, Thomas. And I thank you for amplifying voice here as well, because the more that we can amplify, the more we can create change and an awareness around it. So thank you. I'm so sorry to cut my time short, but I just wanted to say thank you to you both um, as always, and hope to see you both in person soon. Awesome. Thank you, Dr.
0: Lynch, and good luck in LA. Um, Yeah. Thanks for being here. And yeah, Kathleen, this is, um, I feel like a good jumping off point to talk about the storytelling mode that you used, right? I mean, I think we heard Dr. Lynch speak so much about how short films and short documentaries can be impactful. I also know that you know we've spoken a little bit about this because I could see Brim even evolving towards that method of storytelling too. It's so engaging and um i know, i'm I'm curious how you think about storytelling in your world, right? I mean, how did you arrive at these short films as sort of the 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 avenue you wanted to choose and why I guess um and maybe we can go more into some of the details of how you actually get off the ground if you have a project you want to tell about in this way, but um i guess why why short films and documentaries?
1: Well, I think that the the power of that form of storytelling um, is just sort of evident. And as far as like the reach goes, um, there are so many avenues for distribution right now, um, including um, social media, uh, streaming services. So if you you tell your story in a visual way, um, there's just a broad audience that can receive the message. And uh, film has become, I think, so impactful in um, in the communities of activists that um, it would be silly not to take advantage of this opportunity to utilize um, film to, to tell the stories of, of things that we want to change and bring attention and awareness to. Um, I'm, you know, a degree in... Uh, major motion pictures from University of Miami. And uh, I taught documentary film for several years and I've always been a lover of documentary films. Um, so it was just, it was a natural um, segue for me from dramatic narrative to documentary and uh, also have a background in news. So it sort of mixed the the two and um, gave me an opportunity to, to share and to express myself creatively um, as I share with the world stories of things that mean something to me and hopefully to others.
0: Yeah. And well, you, you mentioned sort of this very briefly, but um, one of the pillars of the film is centered around these weighed ends, right? And I actually knew very little about them. Um, So it's, it's shining a light on something that I knew very little about, but um, and hopefully I'm getting this right, but they actually happened before the sit-ins, correct? Um, yes,
1: they, okay. they actually, they do predate the sit-ins. In mm-hmm. fact, um, there's a scene in the film, the, the film is about 15 minutes long. I, I like to play in the short space. Short film is uh, becoming more and more popular amongst filmmakers because I guess our attention spans are decreasing. But you can you can get a lot of information into a a short piece, um, but there is a scene in the film that um, took place in St Augustine, at the uh, the Munson Lodge, where the uh, manager of that um, establishment had poured acid into the swimming pool, uh, while the protesters were sort of waiting in the pool. And, um, the interesting thing about that bit of history is that Martin Luther King was there and he had, he had been arrested the night before. Um, so he was involved in the wait ins He was also, um, a swimmer and a lover of water. Um, there's some very amazing photographs of him at a, another historical location in South Florida. And, um. You know, the thing about the the, the ins particularly here in Florida, is that there there was a historically or there still is a historically Black community. Um, it's the cis community in Fort Lauderdale. And it was a pretty self-sufficient community during segregated times. You had, you know, all the businesses that people need to um, to keep their communities going, you know, restaurants, cleaners, grocery stores were all Black-owned and Black-run and facilitated by um, the Black people in that community. And they were taxpayers and they couldn't access the beach in Fort Lauderdale. So, you know, these hardworking um, American citizens, taxpaying citizens were like, we're not going to stand for that. We pay taxes, we can smell the ocean air um, we work hard. We want that opportunity to relax and unwind and enjoy ourselves in the the, the waters of, of South Florida, but we can't access the beach. So they they took they organized and they they took to the beach and they protested. And um, the the results of those early protests were. Um, the city designating a historically black beach, um, which was later uh, named after those two activists who organized the the wait-ins. The Dr. Von D. Meisel, Eula Johnston State Park Beach is um, the historically black beach in Fort Lauderdale. And it's it's now a place where um, I'm part of a community of practice that is a a collaboration of different people and um, leaders from mindfulness organizations and we meet there every Sunday and we practice mindfulness and um, they also organize beach cleanups. So um, you know, the, 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 the circle of caring for yourself and caring for your community and caring for your environment, it's just, it's all connected. And when you have access to nature and water, you take care of it. Um, I think I went off on a little bit of a tangent, but... Um...
0: No, this is great. Right? <laughs> One of the reasons why storytelling is so impactful in that visual sense, right, is that it allows you to get into these maybe moments in history that people don't know about. And you actually said, right, you found footage of these wadens, right? And they were archival footage mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, I never seen before. Um, and being able to see it actually transpire was very different than, you know, hearing it or reading about it. It's just, it's different, right? So I, it is, um, it, it did you? to life. Did, yeah, it does. And um, when you were thinking about these 15 minutes, right? I mean, did the idea spark because of this initial finding of that event and the footage, and then you sort of built a narrative around it? This is more of a tactical question, right? But did it start with sort of a, a larger sort of general scope of I want to focus on building a short film documentary about water or was it, hey, I, I learned about this event and needs to be shared and I need to provide historical context into present context around that. Um, does that question make sense, I guess?
1: Yeah, I think it was, it was the marriage of me um, experiencing the art at the International um, Swimming Hall of Fame and the and learning the history there through that art exhibition, paired with later finding the archival footage, that now I knew I had the material. Because you know you want to talk about the, the technique of documentary filmmaking, and it's it's often done with um, you know historical photographs or or film footage to sort of um, highlight what your your narrative is about in the um, in the film. Or uh, reenactments, and um, I enjoy using archival footage, um, um, you know, as a history buff. And because we have this this footage, um, they were uh, newsreels shot and you know, thankfully preserved by um, organizations here in South Florida. The footage I used in the film was gathered from the Wolfson Archives, and um, they had they want people to utilize um, their resources, so. Um, they made it, you know, easily available for me, and I was looking through, like I mentioned, I was looking through the archives, working on another project, and um, I was just um, totally inspired by what I saw. So I put that story together, um, you know, taking from what I learned, and um, you know, the 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 two interviewees in the in the film who um, have. Uh, a tremendous amount of of information. So, you know, the documentary is made up of um, interviews from experts, historical Mm -hmm. footage. Um, I sort of, uh, as Marion mentioned, um, tie the story together through the use of a poem. You know, Mm -hmm. often, um, you know, a storyteller will use um, music or a song to uh, connect connect the segments of the film together. And I, I came across this amazing poem that I felt was just, I felt it was made for this film. Yeah. And uh, I was you know, able to acquire the rights from it from the, uh, the poet and utilize it to, to tell the story. And it does so in such a beautiful, dramatic way that I, I think there are different layers in this film that, that speak to and maybe resonate with different people from the from the, the you know the talking head interviews to the historical footage to the the artistry of a of a poem
0: awesome yeah i mean i definitely resonate with that as well and you you heard dr lynch mention that poem too of sort of the tie between the story and the footage and the interviews and there're a lot of different forms in there right so having some common denominator is is really interesting and I, I also love what Dr. Lentz mentioned as well around creating a seat at the table for folks and interviews is such a great way to think about doing that, right. Of, Hey, I'm going to be, you know, behind the scenes. It's something I think about a lot too, just candidly. Like I don't need to be the one out front all the time. I shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Right. So how do you kind of create a seat at the table? Um, interview seems like a, you know, a great place to start. And then, you can sort of let them tell the story. It, it reminds me of something that someone on our team, Andrew, talks a lot about, about like citizen journalism, right? Allowing folks to tell their own story in their own way, right? And mm-hmm. that can kind of mold into a, a narrative that you work on with them. And um, it was really, really well done. So anyway, I'm, I'm curious, like from a more of a tactical standpoint too, like what does your team look like? Right. I mean, who who is a part of building this film? Um, like, I'm also speaking from the perspective of someone who is thinking about, you know, what it would take to start, you know, unfurling this type of storytelling method. So, um, others might be as well who are listening. But um, where do you think about starting in terms of building, you know, a, a team around you, and where 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 do we start?
1: So there there are three stages of production. You have your pre-production, your production, your post-production. So in pre-production, you're doing your research. You're um, looking for ideas for for a film. And often you can get them from newspaper articles, from art um, stories, you know, in your community, uh, maybe a conversation with someone, maybe something you overhear in a Starbucks. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So they're, 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 you know, Experience infinite, yeah, an infinite number of possibilities for where you can get an idea for a film. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you have to do the research, um, and uh, finding experts in that field to interview. And you know, often it starts with a pre interview. You know, you'll have a few conversations with these people, um, maybe read books that they've written or uh, newspaper articles that, that they've written and published, and um, gather your information and put together um, an outline of maybe the, the important beats that you wanna cover in the, in the film, and then um, start working on the script. And, uh, you know, there's also the, the planning. Um, if there's travel involved, um, you have to hire your crew. Um, one of the, the, the most important um, team members, everybody's important, but one of the most important team members to me is the editor. Uh, when I taught film, I often started with editing, which is the last <laughs> stage of production. Uh-huh. But you need to understand how a film is cut together uh, before you go out and shoot. Otherwise, you're going to have something that that just won't work. And there's nothing worse than giving an editor something that that he can't cut together properly. Or you don't have the right visuals that, that tell your story. Mm-hmm. So I like to work... Um, uh, I work hand in hand with my editor and um, I have I work with a, a very accomplished editor who is a storyteller you know in his own right uh, your story is often retold in the edit process um, you hire a cinematographer um, you know you could have a videographer if you're doing something and I, I noticed with a recent project that I did um, I you know and creating something that I, I hope has an artistic um, flair. So I look for someone who has that eye for cinematography, who can capture beautiful vistas and you know, rolling waves or whatever it is I'm trying to um, showcase in the film. And uh, you need a good sound person. People will forgive faulty video, but they will not forgive bad audio. So you need to hire an accomplished sound person. And um, we then, um, you know, once the research is done and the, the script is written um, you and you plan your production dates, you go out and you, you shoot, you shoot your interviews. I use a transcription service to transcribe the, the interviews so that I can go through the text and find the sound bites that I think um, best tell the story. And, um, you know, arrange those so that my editor knows what, parts of the clip I wanna include in the film. You find a uh, post-production uh, music supervisor. Um, we had original music um, created for Wade in the Water. Oh, awesome. Um, so you have, you know, when you get to the post-production stage, your, your editor is going, you're gonna sit with your editor, you're gonna put together your rough cut. Um, you're gonna, typically you start with like temp music Once your picture is locked, then you do a a session with your your, um, composer to go through and kind of give them the words that describe the feeling you want to elicit in a certain scene, and then they can put together the score. Um, You do your cleanup of your sound, your score, your color correction, and at the end of all of that, you have a finished film that then you want to go out and um, market. So um, typically the next step for indie film producers is to enter their films into film festivals um, or look for distribution on television or you know both. Um, it's often great to get your film to premiere at a, a well-known, accomplished film festival, you know, and then there you'll have eyes on it who can then offer you distribution deals.
0: Thank you so much. I literally, my hand is hurting right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so many great notes. And I, you know, it it might seem very simple to you because you've done it so much and you've taught it, but even that breakdown of pre-production, production, and post-production is super helpful visually in my mind. And then the pieces of the puzzle within each of like, okay, the team is you know, editors, a videographer, a cinematographer, sound. Um yeah my my brain is going on 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 who fits into that um awesome okay interesting
1: (laughs) and i i like that you know you're going to find a lot of independent filmmakers who do several of those jobs yeah i like to collaborate i like to bring in you know different people who i mean that's that's part of the um The joy to me of filmmaking is that it's best when it's a collaborative process, and you can bring in someone who gets your. You all you all have to be on the same page as vision goes, but maybe they they're like, well, this this will this cut will work better than that cut, or yeah. you know, let's let's try this, and you know, or they bring in music that maybe you didn't think of, or yeah. you know, in the in the color correction phase, they're like, well, I just had this with this film I'm doing now. The, the interviewee talks about her life going from black and white to color. Why not show that in the, the clip, you know? Yeah. And, and those things, you know, they, they connect with the audience emotionally. Yeah. So.
0: Um, awesome. Absolutely. Well, I, I really appreciate that insight. And I think, um, you know, like I said, it's kind of something we've been thinking about a little bit of transitioning from audio and written text to more of this, Short film, documentary form, and um, a lot of that is because of you, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> Wait in the water. Thank you. I,
1: that that makes um, me feel good. That brings me back to my days of teaching. I love to inspire. Yeah, you people know, to,
0: I definitely to felt change like
1: their a- careers <laughs> <laughs> or, or their way of doing things. <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean, I, I definitely felt like a student watching, and um, everyone on our team has been really excited about that concept too. So. Um, well, I'll definitely have to keep you updated on on how on how all that comes together. But thank you for sparking that for sure. Um You're welcome. and I know you've been so generous with your time. So I, I want to just maybe ask one final question. Um, and this is more of a sort of general um, you know, I'm curious for your overall thoughts on, you know, one of the things we think about at Brim is this concept of envisioning real utopias we call it. So versions of the worlds that, um, you know, utopias are inherently, they, they don't exist, right. They're this sort of fantasy location or system or how the world might work. But what if we could envision real utopias, right. Utopias that could exist, even if they don't today so that we can start to work towards them. Right. Um, and I'm curious for your thoughts, especially after working on weight in the water and the UN Water Week and did you know events over the last couple of weeks? How do you envision that real utopia evolving with water, right? And maybe our our relationship to water. Um, curious for your thoughts there.
1: Wow. So my my utopia would start with um, a, a vision that Dr. Martin Luther King shared with us that that people are judged by the content of their character and not by the color of their skin. And that we all, as a, a community uh, that respects one another, respects our environment. We respect it enough to protect our water and keep it clean and safe um, so that, you know, once again, we could have you know fish swimming in waters where they're no longer swimming. Um, I think during the, the pandemic, um, it was reported that dolphins were swimming again in the canals of Venice, you know. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be wonderful if, if that could continue where our air could be clean and our, our oceans free of plastics and poisons. Um, where we're all living in harmony with nature. I think that would be the the most perfect ideal of a a utopia for me, a world where we all respect one another and we respect and care for the planet.
0: Well said. Thank you for that. And yeah, it reminds me just one, one final word, I guess, you know, it, um, it was so interesting being at the UN and, you know, one of the, one of the amazing parts of the event that we were at, and also some of the events at the UN is that they actually brought, um, you know, indigenous folks from around the world, you know, one of the events was led by a woman from from Burma. Um, and, you know, <laughs> when you hear the when you hear indigenous folks speak about the relationship to the earth, you realize, you know, in New York or in very privileged societies, we think of like the environmental challenge as a like, climate, quote unquote, right? It's this weird term that we just sort of label as um, the challenge and solution set. But, um, for these folks from Burma and from others, it, you know, climate, environmental, it's, it's water, it's food, <laughs> you know, the things that we need to literally survive, right? And yeah. I think so much of our, our potential solution set here in the U.S. is based around technology, right? And like, how do we innovate our way out of this issue? You know, can we find some tech that'll clean all the water in the world and, you know, provide fresh water for everybody, um, I'm not as optimistic that that technology will become, you know, in existence and available to everyone in a short amount of time. So it it's refreshing to hear your perspective on you know, changing the relationship we have with water, right? And that is a cultural thing, right? And it's not, um, it's hard to get that across in, in the type of system that we've built. Um, but, it's a you know it's a really important piece to the puzzle. So, thank you for being able to speak to that, and um, you know I'm, You're I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, I I had
1: to you know I, I had the opportunity to spend some time in uh, Peru, and I, I visited Machu Picchu, and mm-hmm. um, did some um, water ceremonies uh, with uh, indigenous people from from the mountain regions of Peru. And this whole concept of Pachimama, Mother Earth, and, and their history and culture of living in in harmony with the Earth um, just resonated with me. And it makes so much sense. The Earth nourishes and feeds us. So we really need to care for it. And sometimes um, looking back at the, the the ways that our ancestors did things is, is the right way. And, and I heard that too from the indigenous communities. You know they had long history of controlling like the fire, fire, um, yeah. um, forest fires in, in California. That worked, and um, you know we need to go back and look at what what worked for indigenous communities and in, in protecting and caring for their environment. Yeah, the wisdom the wisdom is there.
0: The wisdom has always been there. <laughs> um thank you so much for your time, Kathleen. And uh, I hope this is the first of many conversations and I'll, I'll definitely be, you know, continuing to be a student, you know, with you and um, so excited for more people to see this film as it starts to make its way into the world. So definitely stay, stay tuned with all of that. Check out that, the trailer that we'll post um, in, in partnership with this, this interview. Um, but Thank you so much for for taking the time to be here and to share. Um, you know, it's very, very valuable perspective. So um
1: Thank I really you. I really appreciate the the opportunity to share with you. Cool. And if you ever have any questions about filmmaking, feel free to call me. <laughs>
0: okay. Awesome. Thanks so much, Kathleen. See ya. All
1: right, thank you. Bye.